Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Man, I'm so happy to see you guys today. You guys happy to be in God's house today? You guys happy to be here? Uh, Man, I've been praying for you guys. We are in the second week of our fasting and praying, 21 days of fasting and praying. I've been praying for you guys. Hope that you, uh, the people who are joining together and doing that with us as a church, fasting and praying, uh, I've been praying that God has been moving in your life, that you've been seeing him at work, that he's been speaking to you in new ways during this time. Uh, One thing that's been cool as I've been praying for people in our church body this week is seeing on Facebook and on, you know, uh, Instagram, different posts that people have been making about them feeling more confident this upcoming week or that they're trusting God to give them confidence. So that's been a cool thing to see. Uh, I, I, I love that. I love that, seeing that people are really grasping this theme, this idea that we have for the year, this idea of confidence, of confidence. That is our word for the year. And our verse for the year, we looked at it last week. We're going to be looking at it at all the weeks of this series, as well as into the future for this year. We're going to be coming back to this a lot. And that verse is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 19 and 20. Let me read it for you. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see, that's why we can have confidence as a church and as individuals as we walk into this year and every year to come, because we have a God who goes with us, a God who says, hey, every promise I make to you is yes and amen, is yes and so be it. Yes, it will happen. So what that means is that God's will for our life, and we talked about this last week, I'll give a quick recap of last week's sermon, what that means is that God's will for our life, God's will, it's not just possible, like it's not just possible that you can fulfill God's will for your life, no, you've been given permission to fulfill God's will for your life, and you've been commanded to seize God's will for your life. It's a command, it's something that we are instructed to do. And what's so cool is as we start to do that, as we start to live out God's will for our life, which God's will, if you want to know what God's will for your life is, let me tell you, it's becoming more like Jesus. That's God's will for your life. For every person in this room, everybody watching online, I don't care if you're 9 or 90, I don't care what country you live in, that is God's will for your life, that you would become more and more like Jesus with every single day that passes. And what's so amazing is as we start to do that, as we start to follow God's will for our life, and we start to become more and more like Jesus, one of the things that happens is the, the, the will for our life that God has, the thing that a lot of us used to look at with kind of this idea that, man, like following God, it's just, it's a burden, man. It's all about limitation. It's all about don't do this, don't do that. Don't hang out with these people. Don't go see that. Don't go do this. And that's what we think. Following God's will is all about limits, all about burdens. But as we start to follow God's will, And as we live out how we are supposed to live out, how we were designed and intended and created to live out, we realize, wow, this isn't, you know, a burden of limitation. This is a blessing of liberation. Like, I am finally liberated and free to live the way that I was supposed to, that I was designed to, that I was created 
for. We start to realize that as we live out God's will because we realize the fundamental truth, and this is such a paradigm shift for a lot of us, that God's will isn't what I do. It isn't that what we always jump to. When you hear people, I mean, I'm a pastor. I have people all the time asking me, man, what do you think God's will for my life is? And I, I don't know what, what God's will is. And when they're asking that, they're always asking what should they do with their life. What's God's will? What career will I go into? What, what major will I pursue in college? Like, where, where will I live? What's God's will? That's what we always focus on. And God is like, whoa, no, time out. That's, that is not what my will is. My will is not about what you do. It's about who you become. I do not, activity is great. I want you to do great things for the kingdom, but I want you to be a kingdom person. I want you to pursue me and pursue my likeness in all that you do, and that's my will for your life. And as we start to live that out, man, we start to realize we're doing what we were supposed to do, what we were created to do, what we were intended to do. And as we do that, as we follow God's will for our life and we start to see it come to fruition, we become more like Jesus, we become kinder, we become more patient, we become more loving, more full of grace and truth. As this happens, we start to realize, and I've experienced this, it's so cool, as you follow God's will, you realize there's no way this can't come to fruition. Like, th there's no way this can't happen. Like, I'm, I'm following God and he is enabling me and empowering me to fulfill his will for my life. In fact, scripture tells us, get this, there is only one thing that you and I can't fail at. Only one thing. And we talked about this last week whenever I was outlining our goals for the year. I'm like, we're going to build phase one of our Here and Now campaign. Maybe. <laughs> we're going to raise our weekly giving average to 12000 a week. Hopefully. Like, right? Because all of those goals, I can't sit up here and, and pound the, the podium and say, this is going to happen. We're, we're going to do this. I don't know that we're going to do that. I hope we will, but we're not in control of that. The only thing that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can go out, that we can set out and try to achieve and know no matter what happens, we will not fail. The only thing is following God's will for our life. That's it. If you honestly and humbly try to become more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit, you cannot fail. It's the only thing, the only thing in life, the only promise that God makes that says, hey, you will never fail at this. I will give you success in all that you do if you try to become more and more like Jesus. Now, that gives us confidence as we set out knowing that as we try to fulfill God's will, it will happen. God's will will happen. Say it with me. God's will will happen, right? It, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Right? When God says yes and amen, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It will happen. You will become more like Jesus. You will be able to break that mindset. You will be able to get over that fear, that insecurity. If you continue following him and listening to him and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry if it will go away. It will. It's just a matter of time. Because God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. God's will will happen. So that's where we've been. That's what we focused on last week, God's will. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the permission slip, God's will to live life to the full, to live life the way that we were intended to live. Now, what I want us to do this week is we're going to kind of back up from the permission slip, and what I want us to talk about today is who signs the permission slip to live out God's will for our life. Who is the signer of the permission slip? And what I want us to read from today, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. This is what scripture says. 
So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What Paul is saying in this verse, in verse 9, he is saying, in Jesus, God was pleased to have his fullness live in bodily form. So what that means for you and me is when we look at Jesus, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is a full 1080p HD high definition view of God. This is what God looks like. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power, and he is the head over every authority. Now today, if you're a note taker, today's sermon title is Consider the Source. Consider the Source. Why don't you turn and tell your neighbor, consider the source. Consider the source. Put it in the chat if you're watching online. Consider the source. Considering the source is wildly important. (laughs) It is wildly important. The source matters. The source matters. I'm going to illustrate this. I'm going to ask Rachel Carpenter if she would uh, come up here real quick. Thank you. Can we give Rachel a hand as she comes up? There we go. Rachel's got a a cheering section here at Cornerstone. Uh, I needed help, and so Rachel was voluntold to help me because I'm like, I I need someone. You got to help me. (laughs) So what we're going to illustrate is just a a little, little visual picture of why the source matters, all right? So, Rachel, is it okay if I give you a handshake? Is that, is that all right? All right, here we go. Nice, nice handshake. She's got a nice grip here, nice handshake. Um, so that handshake, what did that convey? Like, traditionally, what's a handshake convey? You know, Right, welcome, friendliness, right? It's manners, it's polite, customary, right? All good things, all good things. Can, I do, can we do one more handshake? Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> no? no, yeah, you're <laughs> getting out the tweezers, right? You don't want to, you don't want to touch me. You're, you're kind of grossed out. What, what, what did that convey? That handshake? Coronavirus. <laughs> Absolutely, that communicated. Someone call the cops. Um, get away from me. Gross, disgusting. You even care about me at all? Filthy, right? Like it just it communicates a whole lot of things, right? All right, one, one more here. Can I grab this one here? Here, let me, let me get some of my own, and then I'll let you grab some. There we go. All right. I am like, there we go, soaking in sanitizer. And I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to put this bad boy on real quick. All right. Now, Rachel, can I shake your hand? Awesome. There we go. All right. Now, now what's this handshake communicate? Care. care. An abundance of care. <laughs> Caution. Right? Like being safe, trying to make sure, okay, am I overstepping bounds? I don't know if you want to shake hands, but I've got a glove against sanitizer. It communicates something different. Now, you want to know what's funny? Did we do anything different those three times? Or was it all a handshake every single time? It was a handshake. Every single, well, one was an attempted handshake. (laughs) But it was a handshake every single time. The only thing that was different was the source. The source being different communicated three entirely different messages, didn't it? 
It was the same thing. It was a handshake. But man, we got a wildly different picture of what was being communicated, and it wasn't because of the what. It was because of the who. It was because of the source. The source changes everything. Can we give Rachel a hand as she walks back? Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> and I got to be careful. I'm actually going to just take this bad boy and toss it over the side. Um, last night, Saturday service, whenever I did that, I went and I just kind of put it on the ground, accidentally stepped on the glove. The rest of the sermon, the remaining 30 minutes, just had a glove sticking to the bottom of my boot. I was all, I saw it. I was all like trying to casually, nonchalantly get it off. I'm crossing my legs, like trying to pull it off and stuff. Like, can we just, can we pray real quick? Father God, right? Like, it was bad. So I'm making sure that does not happen again. (laughs) But see, the source is so vital. The source is so important. The source can completely and utterly change a message when we consider the source. You do this. When you're on Facebook and you see someone post a news story and you see a headline that looks a little off, what do you do? You consider the source. Where is this from? (laughs) Who posted this? What news source is this? Chances are if you're a Democrat in here or watching online and you see one of your friends post something that's from Fox News, you're like, oh, gosh, I can't give this the time of day. And you just scroll right on past because you're considering the source. And if you're a Republican friend in here online, you see something posted from CNN, you're like, oh, geez, I'm not listening to this. Like, these people have no idea what you're talking about because you're considering the source. Maybe you're someone who you've gotten a compliment from somebody, and it's the kind of person who, you know, if, if you're a lady, you can leave your house in, like, you know, leggings and a messy bun, and you're like, please let no one see me whenever I run out. I just need to grab one thing. You're going to try to go where people from church or from school or from work aren't normally there until you run out, and then you see that person, you're like, oh, hi, and they're like, hey, how are you doing? Man, even dressed down, you look gorgeous. You look so beautiful. And in that moment when that person says that to you, you know something about them. This person cannot be trusted, right? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't trust you. <laughs> You've gone down a few notches in my book because you are lying to me, <laughs> right? You, we all know those people, those people who compliment you all the time, and they're great, and they're wonderful people, you know, and, and they mean it. But it's different whenever you get a compliment from that person who, like, never compliments, or they're very selective about compliments, and they mention to you, man, you look really nice today. Oh, wow, I love your haircut. I love what you did with your hair. That do, does something different, doesn't it? Feels different. I've experienced this just recently. There's a, uh, I got a text message a few weeks back, got a text message from a number I didn't recognize, wasn't in my phone, saying, hey, Pastor Jacob, any chance uh, I, I could talk to you sometime? I'd love to get a second to chat. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know who this is. So I looked in our church database to see if maybe the phone number was in there. The number wasn't in there. It's from, like, uh, Chicago or Missouri. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was from out of state. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, I would love to talk. I'd love to talk. I just, I don't know who this is. <laughs> who, who am I talking to? The person responded and said, yeah, sorry about that. I, I, I probably shouldn't have just reached out like this. But you gave your number out at the end of one of your sermons during the Milk and Honey Giants and Wolves series and I just, I, I just wanted to talk to you. I'm like, milk and honey, giants and wolves. That was, that was the first series I ever preached here at Cornerstone as lead pastor. That was August 2020 when we were still recording at New Point, right? So I'm like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> like, he's just now seeing this. So I sent back a text. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk. And so we set up a time. I called him on the phone. And, man, it was, it was so, such a God thing. He said, as we were talking, He's like, I'm going to be sending you some information that's going to give you a little bit more of an idea of how I even heard 
about Cornerstone and found out about you guys because I'm from Chicago. Me and my wife live in Missouri now. But I just wanted to reach out and let you know what you guys are doing at Cornerstone, it's changing my life. Like it's changing my life. He said, I, your sermons, I've been catching up with all of them. I listen to them whenever I go to sleep at night. I turn them on and I fall, I fall asleep to it. And I'm trying to catch all the way up. Man, they've, just, they've helped me see God in a light that I've never seen before. And it, it really is. It's changing my life. And after I got off the phone with them, I, I was sobbing. Like I wasn't like just, you know, I was like, oh, God. Like I was just, I was losing it. I was crying. Um, and the, the reason was I, I walked in the house. I told my wife, Jessica, about it. And the reason it was so emotional is I'm someone, I struggle with confidence, like a lot. Like this series, God's been preaching this to me because this is something I struggle with. And man, we have incredible people in the church who are so kind, who are so complimentary of me and say such wonderful things. And man, I appreciate you and it means so much to me. But let me tell you, there's something special about having someone who does not know you, doesn't know you since you were this big, <laughs> doesn't know your family and everything about you. There's something about someone who has no connection to you, no obligation to you, saying something like that, confirming a call that you feel like you have in your life. It just, it does something for me. I feel like I'm gonna be running off of that for a year, you know? I feel like that helped me in so many ways and I felt like that was a God-sent thing. Frank, he actually, his name is Frank Lukashow. He joined us online for our 9 a.m. service, um, worship with us. It's just amazing. And here's just a little sidebar, what I want to say. Earlier, whenever we gave, whenever we did our tithes and our gifts and our offering, if you've ever wondered, hey, what's this money go to? That's what it goes to. The whole reason Frank is even able to tune in is because we have these cameras that we bought. We have a website that we run. And we have videos that we upload and podcasts that we make. And we have incredible volunteers who do this every single week and people up in the tech booth. And it would be impossible without that. So off of the soapbox for a moment, but um, man, that just, that did so much for me. It did so much for me because of the source. I've had people that I know who have told me that stuff, and man, it does, it, it means so much to me, but man, there's something about having someone who doesn't know me say it that it just, it hit different <laughs> because I considered the source. The source is so vital. The source is so important, especially when it comes to a permission slip. We heard, if you were in here for the pre, if you were lucky enough to catch the pre today, we heard about some permission slips that people had, right? And some permission slips that people may or may not have forged a parent's signature on that. Has anyone ever forged a signature on a permission slip? Anybody online? I see those hands. I see them. We'll have the altars open after service. If you want to come up, we'll pray with you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to get you sanctified <laughs> today. Um, the, the reason that's an issue and the reason that is frowned upon is because the most important part of the permission slip is the identity of the signer. That's the whole, that's the whole reason we have permission slips. I mean, think about it. I shared last week about a permission slip to go to Cedar Point. The whole reason that permission slip existed was to say, yes, I'm Jacob's parent. And yes, I'm saying he can go to Cedar Point. And yes, I'm saying if anything bad happens, I'm not going to hold the school liable, right? Like if he has a heart attack getting on the Millennium Force, we're not going to try to sue Chapel Hill Christian School over taking him here. That's the whole point of the permission slip, right, is you want to have the right identity of the signer. And the reason you want to do that, the reason why we need the identity of the signer is because whenever a permission slip is signed, whenever a permission slip is signed, um, you're giving someone permission to go and do something without them. Right? 
Like the, the, the signer is saying, yeah, go ahead. I'm not going to be there, but go ahead and do what you need to do. So the signer's identity is so important when it comes to permission slips, especially the permission slip that we're talking about in this series, the permission slip to confidently live out God's will for your life. That permission slip has been signed and validated and rubber stamped by Jesus Christ himself. The God of yes and amen has said, yes, go and seize God's will for your life. Jesus is the source and Jesus is the signer. And that's a great amen moment. But what's that actually mean? What's it actually mean that Jesus is the source? And hey, yeah, let's, let's consider the source. The source is Jesus. He's the signer, the permission slip to live out God's will. Woohoo! Of course, it's Jesus. We're the church. The answer to every question is Jesus. Like, <laughs> you, you know that. Every, I've told this story before, but i got to tell it again. Uh, it's a pastor story, so we don't know if this is true or not, but it, it's a good story, so we got to tell it. Uh, Sunday school, they're, they're getting ready. They're going to have a, a lesson on nature, but before they do, they do what they do every week. The kids come in and sit down. They're like, all right, kids, who loves you? Jesus. Who died for you? Jesus. Who made you? Jesus, right? Just ask about 10 questions, and it's just, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is the answer to everything. And so then they move on from that. They're like, okay, we're going to be learning about nature today. We're going to be learning about God's creation. So, boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. What has a big, bushy tail, loves to forage for acorns and nuts, and lives in a tree? And it's kind of quiet until one little boy raises his hand. She's like, yeah, Billy, what is that? He said, well... I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but that sounds an awful lot like a squirrel. <laughs> but, but I know it can't be a squirrel, because I'm in a church, <laughs> and everything is Jesus. Jesus answered everything. What, one more, I got to tell this, because this was too funny. Last night, Saturday service, as soon as it's over, Scott and Terry McFerrin come up to the front, and she's like, I got to tell you something that happened. So Terry wrote for The Weekly, our, our weekly newsletter that goes out on Wednesday. She wrote for it this past week, a really good article. She wrote for it, and she was driving with Scott. And as they're driving along, she goes, hey, did you see that I wrote for The Weekly this week? And Scott's like, yeah, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> you can already see where this is going. Terry's like, uh-huh, what I write about. <laughs> I could see the look on husbands' faces in here being like, I've been in this scenario. I've been here before. Guess what Scott said? Uh, you wrote about Jesus, your love for Jesus. <laughs> She's like, busted. I did not write about that. Like, I, didn't write about, <laughs> I did not write about that. But that's what we're so conditioned to in church. The answer for everything, Jesus, Jesus. And he is the answer. But we, we oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this, we don't go deep enough. We just stop there, send people out, and then I've thought about that. I'm like, man, people are going to be driving on the way home. Like, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but what, like, what do I do with that? Like, what do I do with the fact that, like, all right, Jesus has signed the permission slip for me to live God's will to the, you know, to the full and have life to the full. What does that look like? <laughs> What's that mean? Why is that good news? So that's what we're going to do in our last little bit together. We're going to look at why it is so good as we consider the source that Jesus is the source. Why it matters that Jesus is the signer of the permission slip to live God's will for our life. So last week we had our staff advance, which is like our, our annual big staff meeting where we get together and we kind of plan and project for the year ahead. And one of the things that we did for it this year was we took a, a, an assessment called the Working Genius. 
And what it's supposed to do, it's just like a little 10-minute uh, assessment. You answer some questions, and it helps identify your strengths and your weaknesses and how you work. It's really cool. What you do then is you're able to compile it, look at your team, and see areas that you may have a deficiency where you need to uh, maybe shuffle some things around, maybe move someone to a different area of responsibility. So it's really, really cool. Um, and it's, it was neat seeing where everybody had strengths and weaknesses. And one thing that me and Rachel Carpenter had in uh, common, we're like the executive level leaders on staff, is that we're both tenacious. That's one of the, the, the working genius areas, is being tenacious. And that means like you, you love to see goals get reached. You love to push for goals to get reached. You're tenacious about it, which is great. Um, but we were kind of commiserating with the fact that we have that strength, but we don't have the strength of like empowerment, of enablement, of helping someone walk the steps to where they need to go. And so what Rachel and I can have a tendency to do is be like, hey, awesome idea. I love it. Go do it. Bye. <laughs> Come back when you're done. Come back when you've completed it. Because we're, we're not the kind of people where we're like, okay, let me do a daily check-in. Let me walk your hand. Let me make sure everything's going good. And if you have any questions at all, just come to me and we'll stop everything that we're doing and we'll process it together. That's just not, it's not a strength for us. Our strength is, yep, good idea, go do it. <laughs> come back to me when you're done. And that's kind of like the essence of a permission slip. A parent saying, yeah, you're going to Hale Farm? Awesome. Here you go. <laughs> Here's the permission slip. Come back when you're done. Tell me how it was. And I wonder... And I've been thinking about this this week. If that's how we view our relationship and our spiritual walk with God, very much like me and Rachel's working genius results, very much like a permission slip that God at one time said, yep, I made you, I created you, I have a will for your life. Go live out that will. Be like Jesus every day. Be confident in every situation you find yourself in, knowing that God is with you. Now, here you go. I'll see you when you're done. I'll see you when, when, when your time has come, and then I'll evaluate you and see, did you live up to where I wanted you to live? You better have. You better have. You may not intellectualize it like that. I'm not saying that you think about it like that, but I would bet most of us actually live that out from time to time. We live life as if we are living it on our own, and there is no one coming to help us. That God has told us, what to do. He sent his word. Here you go. Do this. Don't do that. Good luck in God's speed. And when your time comes, we'll see how you did. When your time comes, you can come back and we'll see how you did. That is a scary way to live. Not exactly confidence inspiring, is it? And I wouldn't just wager that most of us live this way. I have numbers to back up that most of us live this way, even people who are Christians. Listen to this. This is a Pew poll. Um, from 2018, the numbers that you're going to hear are actually going to be worse now because we have been on a downward trend in our country specifically um, in belief in God and our views of God. So every number you hear is actually going to be about 5% lower than what it is. So at the time in 2018, 80% of all adults in the United States said that they believe God exists, that there is a God, there is a higher power, God exists. 80%, it's pretty good, right? 80%. But out of that 80%, only 56% would say that that God that exists is the God as described in Scripture. 
only 56%. And again, these numbers are going to be lower now. So we're looking probably at like 75% of people saying God exists and about 50% or less saying that, yeah, God exists and this is him. This is how he described himself. This is what he said about himself. This is how he revealed himself. So what that means is that a gigantic number of people, including Bible-believing Christians, would actually live out this belief. Yes, I believe there's a creator God. He created everybody. He may even kind of have a will for people's life. But after he creates you and you're born, he just kind of kicks you out the nest and you're on your own. Until one day you reach the pearly gates, and then there's a ledger of good things and bad things, and if you have more good than bad, then hey, you're, you're, you're in. That's the vast majority of what people believe about God. Not exactly confidence-inspiring. Doesn't exactly make you want to uh, uh, say amen, does it? <laughs> this vague belief in an impersonal God, a God who makes me and then just kicks me out on my own. This belief, this, this belief in this vague idea or concept of God is exactly what the Apostle Paul was warning about in the scripture that we read earlier. Colossians chapter 2, let me read verse 8 again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Doesn't that sound like our modern-day spirituality? It's so dependent on human tradition and on the elemental forces of this world rather than Jesus. Think about what people say nowadays when they refer to God. I'm sending good vibes out into the universe, right? I'm, I'm sending good vibes out into the universe hoping that they return to me. Or, or we talk about God as if he's some sort of like karma. Like, oh, I don't want to upset my karma. Don't want to upset that. I want to make sure I'm putting good things out so good things come back. We have this vague, hollow, and deceptive idea that depends on human tradition and the forces of this world of what God is rather than who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. We believe we are on our own. Whether we intellectualize it or not, we may actually live that out. There's a scene in one of my favorite movies of all time, Signs. Has anyone seen the movie Signs? An M. Night Shyamalan movie from about 2002. So good. Highly recommend it. Um, it's a movie, and it stars, you know, it's, it's two brothers. One's the older brother, and he used to be a Catholic priest, uh, but he had a, uh, or he used to be a Presbyterian priest, I believe. He had a, a, a tragedy happen in his life. His wife was killed in a car accident. She just went for a jog one night. A uh, driver fell asleep at the wheel and hit her, and pinned her between the car and the tree. She ended up dying. He had a crisis of faith, ended up leaving the faith because of it. Uh, and so his brother, his name is Graham, and his brother Merrill decides, you know, I'm going to come and live with you for a while to kind of help you get through these next steps. And so they're living together with the two kids, and uh, some craziness starts to happen in the world at this time. Crop circles start appearing all over the world, and then one night it all culminates with a news report that 14 lights have appeared in the sky above Mexico City and no government is taking responsibility saying those are our planes, those are anything. And so people around the world are starting to realize, whoa, this, like, there is life out there. There's, there's something happening. And so, of course, panic starts sweeping all over the place. And so the scene in question is this one night, they're sitting down, they're watching TV, 
and the lights are on TV, you know, they see him above uh, the city, and the younger brother, Merrill, he says to his older brother, Graham, he's like, man, people are saying this is, this is the end of the world. Like, what, what do you think? And Graham says, well, it, it might be. And his brother says to him, like, man, can't you give me some words of comfort like you used to? <laughs> Remember, go back to your priest days. Can you give me some words of comfort? And so Graham says, all right, um, you know, some people look at those lights in the sky, and what they see is, you know, there, there's something greater out there. There's another force out there. There's something higher than just ourselves. And so when those people see those lights, they see hope. And they see, hey, we're, we're not alone. We're not facing this alone. Now, of course, there are other people who they see those lights and their hearts are filled with fear. Because everything they thought they knew has suddenly been shaken up. And the fact that they're not alone scares them. And it makes them go, well, maybe our life here isn't so special. Maybe things are more random and just led by chance. And so that fills them with fear. And so his brother Merrill says to him, okay, well, which, which one are you? Are you the person that sees that and has hope, or are you the person who sees that and has fear? And his brother pauses for a second, and he turns to him and he says, you want to know what my wife, Colleen, said right before they let her die? She said, see, and then her eyes glazed a bit, and then she said, swing away. Merrill, do you know why she said that? And you can see Merrill's thinking like, whoa, is this like got some greater cosmic meeting, right? There's no such thing as coincidence. There's purpose here. We're not going through this alone yet. He's like, what? What did it mean? And Graham says, it meant nothing. You know why she said that? She said that because the nerve endings in her brain were firing as she died, and a random memory of us being at one of your baseball games just popped up in her head. He pauses for a second. He goes, Merrill, there is no one looking out for us. We're all on our own. And it's such a heavy moment. It's such a heavy moment. And I would wager you have been there in your life. You may not intellectualize it that way. You may not even say it because you're a good Christian and you don't want to upset God. <laughs> but you've thought to yourself, man, I'm, try man, I'm trying to fulfill your will, God. I'm trying to live as faithfully to this as I can. And my kid dies? God, I'm trying to be as faithful as I can. I'm trying to do everything I can. And they, they stab me in the back? The people that I love, that I thought I was doing life with, that they're, they're saying these terrible things about me. God, I'm trying to follow your will for my life, and I am constantly just overwhelmed with anxiety and grief and depression. Am I on my own here? Are we all just on our own? Have you signed the permission slip, given us life, and then just pushed us out the door and said, come back one day, I hope you make it? We may not intellectualize it, but a lot of us, including Christians, we live this way, and it's heartbreaking because that is so far from the truth. We don't have a vague God. We don't follow the universe. We don't have this intangible karma that hopefully we do more good than bad. We have a personal God that has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, and we can know him. We can follow him. We can call him friend and father. That's the God that we have, and that's the God that we serve. That's the God who has signed our permission slip to live life, and he's the God who empowers us and enables us to fulfill God's will. I love how the Apostle Paul words in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Listen to what he says. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. And then here, verse 6. This is so good. Paul says, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We can be confident that he, not what, not some vague and personal force, but the knowable, alive, and active God, Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to see it through to completion. You don't have to worry that he signed the slip one day and then just kicked you out and is telling you, well, I hope you can be perfect. I hope you can live up to my will for your life. He says, no, I am walking with you every single step of the way. You won't face any of this by yourself. You are never alone. He is the source. Consider the source. Consider the God who signed off on that. Consider what it means that Jesus is the source, that he signed the permission slip. Jesus, he didn't just sign the permission slip. He's a, he's a chaperone God. He wants to go on the trip. <laughs> he doesn't want to just sign the slip and then just send you off. He wants to be with you. And it's amazing. Uh, I was talking with uh, Rachel in between services, and she was saying, uh, whenever I, I said that in first service, the idea that God is a chaperone God, she said, man, that just that hit me in such a way because I know that I always wanted my mom to be a chaperone on my field trips because when she would go, I got to do more. <laughs> like, the trip was funner <laughs> because normally you go on a, uh, a trip and, you know, everyone's told bring $10, bring $10. Well, we go on a trip. What if, what if there's something that's like 15 or 12 and I want it? My mom's a chaperone. I can get it because <laughs> she's, she's with me. If I, if I need something, she's with me. I, I have uh, little extra incentives when she's with me. And that's exactly what we have in God. We have a chaperone God who doesn't just sign the slip and then just push us out. He walks with us. Now, what's that mean for us? I got to do these real quick in closing. What's that mean for us that Jesus is the source? that not some vague, impersonal God is hoping that you get his will right, but that Jesus is the one who signs a permission slip on our lives. What that means is that we have a God who knows the highs and lows of following God's will. Doesn't that just comfort you to know that the God who walks with you through life as you are trying your best to achieve God's will in your life, that Jesus walks with you and he says, hey, I know that there's going to be valleys, and I know there's going to be mountaintops. I, I've been there. I've walked it. The God that we serve is the God who gave the Sermon on the Mount on a beautiful day and had thousands of people coming, clawing to hear the word of God, to hear this man preach who, wow, no one had ever talked like him before. No one spoke with this kind of authority before, and, and Jesus was on that mountaintop moment. He experienced that, probably one of the greatest highs of his public ministry here on earth. And Jesus also experienced the agony in Gethsemane where he was begging God, if there is any way other than the cross, please let it be. If there's any way other than this. So as you're walking through life and you're trying to follow God's will and you feel like, man, that losing my dad, losing my kid, having this disappointment, being betrayed, I, I don't know how I can make it through. The God who walks with you is not some vague and personal God. It's a God who says, I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. I've wept over loved ones who have passed away. I have been disappointed time and time again. I've been there. I know what the lows are like, and I can walk you through them. I can guide you through them. That's what it means to consider the source and that the source is Jesus. We can lean on him. 
Jesus doesn't just know that there are highs and lows of following God's will. Jesus knows that consistency, not perfection, is the aim of following God's will. Some of you, that's, that was worth the price of admission today, just hearing that. That consistency, not perfection, is the aim of following God's will. We, we get this wrong so often in church. We feel like, man, we got to string days together, and weeks turn into months, months into years. we got to be perfect. I'm, I need to read my Bible plan every single day. I need to pray every single day, and if I mess that one day up, I got 21 days in a row, and then I, I, I forgot to get to my Bible that day. I forgot to pray today. I wasn't as kind as I should have been today. Well, scrap it all. <laughs> Just scrap it, throw it in, start a new streak tomorrow, try to be better tomorrow, and we kill ourselves. You know, there's actually a debate going on in the substance abuse uh, research community. Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of recovery groups are trying to figure out if counting a streak is really the best way to do it anymore. Because for some people, that works fantastic. For some people, having the, the coins that you get after, hey, you, you did it for a day, and then you did it for a month, and then you did it for six months, and you did it for a year. For some people, that works great. But there is a whole community out there that is feeling suffocated because they kill themselves every time they relapse. They kill themselves every time they mess up because they feel like, man, I built up 21 days in a row, and then I failed. Now it's back to square one. Everything I did was for nothing. Everything I did doesn't matter. We're acting as if it doesn't even count, and I have to go back to square one. And so there's a debate going on on, on, on should we count streaks or should we count days? Should we count days? Should we look at a calendar year and say, you know what? I think it's better that out of 365 days, you went 320 without a drink. I think that's a better thing to count than you had a, an 11-week streak. <laughs> there's this debate going on. Now, I can't tell you the, the right answer. I'm not qualified enough to speak to that from a substance abuse standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, I absolutely can tell you consistency trumps perfection every time because perfection is impossible. You will forget to read. You will forget to pray. You will talk with a bad tone or bad attitude. You will judge somebody. Those things will happen, and luckily, the God who walks with us as we try to fulfill his will for our life understands that. He's not shaking his head so disappointed of you every time that you fall short, just going, Ugh, back to square one, back to square one. He doesn't do that. I was just talking with a guy this week about um, the, the idea that we feel like, uh, man, we just keep circling the same problems, and that may be true. You may be circling the same problem, and God wants to deliver you from it, but you need to ask God and be honest with yourself Maybe you are circling the same problem, but you're not circling it at the same level as you used to. You used to be on a whole different level. Yeah, you, you shouldn't take that tone with people, but man, you used to talk like that all the time to people. And now it's more occasionally. And man, you're, you're getting better because the Spirit is sanctifying you and he's transforming you. And stop killing yourself, expecting perfection, because that was never the aim. That was never the aim. Consistency. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. And then the last thing, as we wrap up, that Jesus knows, and this is what we can take confidence from as we consider the source today, is that Jesus knows that we need help fulfilling God's will. He knows it. This doesn't shock him. <laughs> he, he hasn't signed off on your permission slip, handed it to you, and then said, oh, you need help? Ugh. 
fine. <laughs> like, I guess I'll come. He understands. He understands that you need help. I used to think to myself, why did Jesus even need disciples? He doesn't need them. He could have done all this by himself. But as I look at my own inadequacies and how badly I need his help, I start to realize, you know what? I'm so thankful that there were disciples because I have all of these pictures of people who just couldn't get it right, who needed help, who needed Jesus. And I'm like, yes, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I need help. I can't do this on my own. One last stat that I'll hit you with. Did you know this, this might hit a little close to home depending on your resolution for this year. You know, 80% of Americans, 80% don't get the recommended exercise they're supposed to get, 80%. I, I include myself in that 80%. I am, I am right there. But you want to know what's crazy? On the flip side, out of the people that do exercise the recommended amount, 76%, more than uh, three-fourths of the people who do exercise the amount that they are supposed to. You know, want to know what their key is? It's one of two factors. They work out with friends or with a group or they have a personal trainer. 76%. That's crazy. What that tells me is that the people who are achieving their goals are realizing I can't do it alone. If I'm left to my own devices, and there are some incredible people out there who have willpower of steel who can do it by yourself, but for the majority of us, if we try to do it by ourselves, we're going to fail every single time. We're just going to fail. We're not going to be able to cut it. And if that is true about our physical fitness, my word, how much more true about our spiritual fitness? How much more true about our spiritual walk with God? We can't do it on our own. And Jesus knows that. He knows that. So he walks with us. So he guides us. Because he's not some vague, impersonal force or some vague idea of God that just created us. He made us, but he doesn't mold us. He created us, but he doesn't cultivate us. He just sends us on our way. No, no, no. He is a personal, alive, active God who knows you, who loves you, and says, I want to walk with you every step of the way. And we can have confidence because of that. We can have confidence as we face obstacles knowing that he who began a good work in us, he will be faithful to see it to completion. Heavenly Father, we are beyond grateful for who you are, that you are not a vague force in the universe, but you are an alive, active, moving, present God who doesn't just send us on our way and expect us to be back one day having fulfilled his will for our life. No, you walk with us. You step with us every step of the way, showing us what your will looks like, prompting us on what to do, on the kind of actions to take, on the kind of words to say, on the kind of thoughts to think. You're with us. And God, I can't speak for everybody in this room or everybody online, but I know for me, my goodness, the confidence that gives me, knowing that as I set out to do these things, I'm not doing it alone, and that as long as I rely on you, I cannot fail. I can't. That gives me confidence, God. Help us to live out that truth every single day so that we would be confident people advancing the kingdom one kind, loving, Jesus-like act at a time. We love you, Father, and we pray this in your name. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.